The Glue, the podcast about business development, marketing and communications in professional services. So welcome to The Glue. I'm James Stringer, a former BD director and now trainer, consultant and coach on business development bids and offsites. This podcast is called The Glue because the BD marketing and communications teams in professional services are the glue that holds the whole thing together. In this episode, we'll be exploring what makes for a great leadership team in a professional services firm. In our careers as BD marketing and communications professionals, many of us have already or will be asked to join leadership teams. And this episode seeks to explore how, as non-fee earners, we can best influence and contribute to these teams. We'll be considering how can a firm's leadership best support and nurture individual practices, which are often very diverse. What creates a successful firm culture and how can leadership champion that, especially when growth is essential for all firms? How can leadership best support sales initiatives in environments as complex and diverse as a professional services firm? To help me discuss these topics, I'm joined by Jason Haynes and Eddie Bowman. Jason trained as a chartered accountant with Deloitte, later becoming a partner in Anderson, working at the interface between business and technology. After working on the winding up of Anderson Worldwide, Jason joined PwC as Global CTO. He was subsequently appointed as CIO of, of Allen & Overy and later became the Global CFO and Operations Director. Jason now works as a non-executive director and is a part-time principal consultant with PSFI. Welcome to The Glue, Jason. Thank you, James. Regular listeners will already know Eddie. Eddie spent the early parts of his career in the oil and advertising industries. Following a stint at KPMG, he was hired by Arthur Anderson as its partner to run the marketing and business development function. He was subsequently Chief Marketing Officer at EY for 10 years, followed by six years as the partner in charge of BD and marketing at law firm Simmons & Simmons. Eddie hung up his Simmons gloves last year and now provides consulting services. Welcome back to The Glue, Eddie. Thank you very much. Okay, so we've got lots to discuss. What are the factors that make for a successful professional services leadership team? Jason? I'm going to say three things, James. First of all, you want a team that's collegiate and cohesive. Secondly, I think you want a real team, not just a collection of people who've been put together for political reasons, but people who really have each other's back and really want to work together with a shared vision. And then thirdly, I think you want a diverse mix of skills. Professional firms manage four things. They manage clients, people, money, and knowledge. And you need people who've got skills in all of those areas to make sure that when issues come forward, that people are thinking about all of those. And Eddie, do you agree, particularly, I guess, from a BDM marketing perspective on the client side? Yes, I think I do. I mean, I, I think I agree with all of that. I, I'd probably add the following. I think in, in professional services, personal credibility in the leadership team is really important. If you don't have it, it's really difficult to bring in everybody with you. That would be the first thing I'd say. The second thing I think I'd say is... Leadership's easier with strategic clarity. It's easier if, if you've worked out where you want to go, easy to say, actually much more difficult to do. And the third one, small point, but I think really important is it helps if leaders have cross-firm knowledge. Quite often they don't. They just have the knowledge of their bit, which makes them quite myopic in their leadership style, I think. 
And how much can leadership influence the success of individual practices and, and forming that strategy that Eddie was talking about? Jason? I think leadership has an enormous influence on the success of the business. I mean, most large professional firms will have a central leadership team of some description. And I think that the way they manage their practices has an enormous influence on the performance of the business. I've seen, you know, very good practices ruined by poor leaders. And I've seen average practices you know, move forward to, to great performance through great leadership. So this, the sort of thing that they can do really effectively is, you know, encouraging cross-selling, setting out the required levels of financial performance and making sure people are accountable for, for getting there, development of future leaders and succession planning in the practices. So there's an awful lot that's positive that can be done. Equally, there's a lot that I've seen done which destroys value. So people can be micromanaging the practices, which just, just kills the motivation. You can have bloated central teams and excessive overhead costs from the centre. So there's a lot of things that the centre can do to add value, but equally a lot of things the centre can do that does destroy value. So I think leadership makes a massive difference. Eddie, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything Jason said the other really, really practical thing that leadership can and must do to encourage, you know, individual practices to grow is allocate budgets. They need to put budgets, they need to put their money really where their mouth is. And that, again, sounds really easy, but I think is often really difficult in a professional services environment where leaders sometimes fall into the trap of thinking they need to give a little bit of money to everybody. That's just not smart. I completely agree. With that. I mean, the thing I think you see far too much of is, as Eddie says, people spreading the money and not saying no, because strategy, clear strategy is as much about saying what you're not going to do as it is about saying what you are going to do. And I think a lot of firms fall into the trap politically of, of spreading and they spread too thin and you end up with an undifferentiated, unfocused organisation as a result. Is that ultimately because partnerships are led by people who are typically elected and so therefore have to court the constituency. How, how can you get past that? I don't think you can stop or nor should you really stop elections, but I think you have to recognise that elections give partnerships certain characteristics that you have to manage to. So you have to remember the electoral cycle, for example. So difficult things tend to get done in years one or two after an election and thereafter, you know, management tends to do things that please the electorate. So you have to sort of recognise that in your planning and thinking about what you want to achieve as a business when you make the tough decisions and, and when you do the easy stuff. And Eddie, what's the role of BD leadership in a successful professional services senior management team from your experience? My view is you need to play to your skills. So don't try and out-lawyer a lawyer. Where I think that you can add the most value, ironically, is by being the voice of the customer, by bringing the outside into the organisation. I was... I've been really surprised by how leadership teams in professional service firms tend to be very focused on internal stuff, but they sometimes forget the customer. And the other thing I'd say about a BD influence is I think you can be a disruptor. I think they welcome, if you deliver it in, this, in the right way, the challenge of coming up with different points of view and different ideas. Bringing the outside in is what I would say. And were you successful in your roles in doing that? You know, what were the techniques that you used to appropriately bring those outside perspectives in? Well, I guess, you know, it helps if you have worked in sectors other than an accountancy-based consulting firm or the law. That helps because you can bring different perspective in. And I think it also helps if you've been around the block because I think you're prepared to speak up when perhaps others might not do, but you have to deliver the messages in the right way. 
uh, you have to choose your time. The next topic for discussion is, should professional services leadership invest more in their future success? For example, through the equivalent of research and development activities. Jason, as a former finance director and CIO, what do you think about that? Well, I think investment is essential and always important. I think the challenge for professional firms is that the money that they're using to invest is generally money that would otherwise have gone to the partners or the voters, if you like, in the in the partnership world. And so I think it is an enormous challenge for professional firms. And actually, I think what you often see is success is often more organic than that. So successful practices grow their own people recruit extra people and are given resources because they're successful. And that bottom-up growth is very client-centric often because it's the clients that are paying the money. Equally, practices that are not performing well tend to be starved of resources because they're not generating the profits and resources not allocated to them. And so I always see professional firms as more organic than a traditional corporate. And therefore, the role for central investment decisions is greatly reduced. The funds for central investment decisions are generally not there or not there to the same degree as they would be in a corporate. Um, And I think the other thing I would say about investment in professional firms is there are not that many examples of professional firms who've invested very successfully. There are some, and it can be done well. But I think the idea that professional services managers and leaders are well-equipped to make big investment decisions is, is up for challenge because they just generally don't do much of it. They don't have much track record of it. So I think it's a, you know, I would always say, yes, you need to do some, but you probably want to be careful about how much money you put into new things. And Eddie, a question for you linked to that, really, which is that in some markets, uh, I guess in accountancy or in legal, there can be, say, disruption coming in the market, which, you know, one particular practice is probably, you know, not sufficiently invested in to kind of drive that through organically. And so therefore, the firm leadership, you know, may have to make some active decisions about investment. How did you manage that in terms of bringing the client perspective and the market future vision into the law firm so that investment was made? I think people in BD do have the ability to force themselves to encourage the organisation to think round the corner and look over the hill. And we're possibly better placed to do that than perhaps the really bright, really intelligent, incredibly busy rank and file partner because they're in the here and now. So it is possible for BD to have quite an influence in those sorts of conversations, but you have to do it in the right way and you have to seek leadership endorsement to be given that voice and you have to choose when you're going to have those conversations, I think. And Jason, you've worked at firms that have done the same. You know, how, what, what was your experience of that, you know, how was the, how were those ideas generated? How were they driven through? I think very often, I mean, particularly thinking about the BD community, when the BD community is most powerful is when it's reflecting the voice of the client or the customer. So when BD pops up and says, I just want to do something because it's good for BD, it'll probably get ignored. But if BD says, actually, we've talked to 50 clients and the consensus amongst our clients is that this is a really important area or this is where the world's changing and we need better services or different services, then I think it has enormous influence and power in the boardroom because uh, you know, no sensible organisation is going to ignore what the customer wants. So many firms claim to have a unique culture. Um, How can leadership create a culture that promotes and supports growth activities, Jason? Well, I think you have to 
define culture quite carefully because culture is a word that's much like strategy. It's bandied around all the time, but people are not very clear often about what they mean by culture. I think culture is a combination of two things. And this comes from uh, Clayton Christensen, the, the MBA professor. It's about priorities and it's about processes. So priorities meaning what's important around here, what does leadership really value, and processes in terms of how do things get done around here, how do we work and deliver what we want. And actually, leadership can define both of those things. You know, culture can be managed, processes and priorities can be managed and defined. I think the challenge for professional firms, particularly on priorities, is that so many firms, as we've said, are just spreading money everywhere and they're quite vague about what it is is a real priority and i think that's quite often why professional firms struggle with differentiation because they're all doing that they're all spreading their resources quite thinly and therefore none of them is famous for anything whereas if a firm was bold enough to say we're just going to focus on this area we're just going to focus on this sector and we're just going to work this way and this is how we're going to get stuff done and these are our three priorities you know, I think there's a real opportunity for differentiation there and a real opportunity for leadership in certain parts of the, of the world. But as I say, in a partnership context, very difficult to do because there are lots of competing resources and everybody gets a vote. So it's challenging. And from your experience of working in different firms, have there been some that have had a kind of stronger culture, a clearer culture than others? You mentioned earlier that both Eddie and I spent time working at Anderson, and I think we would both say that that was a firm with an incredibly strong culture. I mean, obviously, it's not a great credential often when you talk about it because of the, you know, ultimately what happened to Anderson. But actually, when you were working there and in its heyday, it had a phenomenally strong culture. You know, it, it was described by people as, the, as the, the commandos, the Marine Corps, as it were, of the professional services world. And it, and it certainly felt different. Eddie, I don't know what you're feeling about that was. Yeah, extraordinary place to work, actually. I think culture is something you almost feel. It's easier to smell it than it is to put it down on a piece of paper. And quite often, people spend too long trying to articulate culture in words. I mean, I completely agree with Jason's definition of culture. And I completely agree with what he said about the challenge within professional services firms, particularly legal firms, to build distinctiveness. It's really hard to build distinctiveness and it's really important because there are probably 500, 500 really, really good law firms in the world. So if you want to stand out, you need to be different. And if you want to be different, you need to think very hard about your strategy and where you're going to play and where you're not going to play. Otherwise, you just end up being like Blamange, like everybody else. And that's not a good place to be. So if a firm wants to initiate a sales effort, for example, through leveraging existing clients more effectively, from your experience, what are the most important leadership behaviours and influences to get right? Eddie, shall, shall I start with you? Well, the first and obvious thing to say is the leadership has to be four square behind a sales drive. Sales is still a slightly tricky word in professional services, certainly in the legal sector. But if you want to shift your culture to make it more front footage in a sales direction, then the leadership has to really want it and has to stick with it. That would be the first thing I would say. Second thing I'd say is it really depends on the nature and culture of the organisation you're trying to introduce this sales drive in. Not all approaches are going to work. Not, not one approach is not going to work in every organization. Certainly in my last organization, we were quite sort of, we had to be quite sort of pedantic 
and set out really, really clear requirements for what we wanted partners to do over what time frame. How many business development meetings were they going to have within a month or a week? And how were they going to report back on those business meetings? Now, within that culture, within that organisation, that approach worked. In other organisations, it probably wouldn't. So, so you need to choose the style of, of execution to fit the culture of the organisation that you're in, I think. Jason? And I think the most important thing leaders can do is to be role models in, in selling and building relationships. So I remember working at one firm where the senior partner set his goal of having at least five client meetings per week. And, you know, his, his point was, if I'm not meeting at least one client every day, then I'm not doing what I should be doing in listening uh, to the market and, and responding to the market. Now, he wouldn't necessarily meet a client every single day. He might meet two or three clients one day and then have a few days when, he, when he's focused on internal things. But nonetheless, I think that was a really powerful example. And it said to the rest of the partners, you know, get out there, meet your clients, talk to your clients, listen to your clients. And I, I think, you know, in terms of initiating a sales effort, I think you have to remember you don't sell professional services, you let clients buy professional services. And the only way you do that is by having regular contact with those clients and really listening to them. And presumably that helps, Eddie, the point you made right at the start, which was an awful lot of leadership time is spent on internal facing topics rather than external. Whereas if the you know the most senior people within the organization are meeting clients, then you've got a better chance of actually getting the client perspective in. Yeah. I mean Absolutely. And the other thing that is really interesting, perhaps the difference between, say, the big four where we've both worked and law firms where we've both worked, is that in the big four, they had multiple partners that had touch points with big clients, you know, 5, 10, 15 people around the world that were plugged into that client so that if one or more of them left, the relationship was secure. In the, in the legal marketplace, we still suffer from, from only one person being the key client contact. So if that individual leaves, then the client can go with them. I, I, this is a slight segue point that I'm making, but it's really important, I think, that we, we recognize the difference between the, the way the big four runs client relationships and the way that the legal market does. Is that just a function of scale? You know, the big four being individually just much bigger firms or you know, is it a is it a mindset maybe for law firm partners of being more protective? I think it's a mindset thing. I think they hide behind the scale argument. It's a mindset thing. My final question is around looking forward. What what are the greatest opportunities and threats facing professional service firm leadership teams? The uh, I think every, I, I'm going to name three threats, and there are also three opportunities. The first, predictably is AI, which I think is an absolutely massive opportunity and a life-throttling threat for the legal industry in particular. The second one, it's very obvious, is the sort of geopolitical uncertainty that's floating around the world at the moment. That must feel really uncomfortable if you're running a professional services firm. How do you navigate that? Those that navigate it best are going to win and they're going to win big. And the third one is slightly more esoteric, which is I do believe that there is the beginnings of what I would call the breakdown in the conventional partnership career model, which basically goes join a firm, work really, really, really hard for 10 or 15 years, make partner, work really, really hard for another 10 or 15 years, retire relatively wealthy. And I think there's a whole generation 
of really smart consultants and lawyers and accountants that I'm not sure want to do that anymore. So if you're in the business of leadership of one of these firms, you need to think about how you're going to deal with that issue. Jason? I've got a really mundane one, but I think it's going to be huge in the next five years, and that's basis period reform in the UK. HMRC is changing the rules. They're going to suck a lot of cash out of the firms as the tax rules change. That's not a profit thing. That's a cash flow thing. But you know, hundreds of millions of pounds in some large firms will, be, will go missing in a sense, and the taxman will pick it up early. And that is going to cause financial pressure. That's going to create pressure to consolidate because there'll be pressure to reduce costs. At the same time, you've got outside investors getting very interested in professional firms and different models. So I think there's going to be a wave of outside investment filling the gap of the taxman. And I think there's going to be a wave of consolidation that, that flows. So I think we're going to be in for some very exciting times in the next five to 10 years. thing I want to do on this episode is to thank my guests Jason Haynes and Eddie Bowman. Thanks very much, Jason. Real pleasure. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you very much. So we have exciting plans for future episodes, so please look out for updates from me on LinkedIn. You can find other episodes of The Glue on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And please follow me or subscribe so you don't miss any. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>